morning, everybody. Hi. My name is Ethan. I'll be reading the scriptures for us this morning. So if you're not able or if you're able and uh, not standing yet, would you please stand with me? Today's passage comes from Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the, as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears, from, uh, hears their, them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judah and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, They have had too much wine. This is the word of the Lord. Good God. Great job. Please have a seat. Good morning. Um, this, this might feel a little bit weird, but can we give Ethan a hand for reading that? Um, I don't know, maybe it was a year, year and a half ago or so, we started uh, reading the text um, separately from, from our teaching time, and uh, that has to be one of the more challenging ones that we've asked for somebody to come up here and volunteer to read with all of those pronunciations, and Ethan, I'm just going to say, you probably pronounce those better than I will when I read it in just a moment, so uh, well done. Hey, uh, uh, my name is Tim. I'm the lead pastor here, and it's so good to be in this space together with you this morning. If you're watching online or watching at some other time, thanks for joining in and being a part of this as well. Uh, I want to give a, a, a brief update uh, before we pray and, and, and uh, dive into Scripture together. Um, I uh, want to say, I just want you to know of a few people within our community that have stepped up into new roles over this last month as we've had two significant longtime pastors transition out of their pastoral roles uh, within our Mosaic family. And so one is uh, Tyler, who is leading here. Uh, Tyler Marple, who has volunteered uh, for some time uh, in, in the life of Mosaic, leading bands, is going to step up and lead uh, two bands a month and coordinate all of our, our, our musicians who, who form our bands. And so Tyler, thank you so much. We're so glad to have you and to have you step up and lead in that way. So would you thank Tyler? Uh, and then two uh, other leaders, uh, one who has been on our team for some time, uh, Maya Miner, and then uh, Chris Warren, who you might re remember Chris has been up here a ton on guitar and helped lead a band. He's been a leader in training these past two years. Maya has been on our staff for some, I don't know how long, a couple years, uh, a while. Um, Chris is just coming on staff in a, in a part-time role to help coordinate everything that happens that you don't see up here, but that helps make all this happen and, and go smooth-ish. And so, Chris and Maya, thank you so much uh, for just the ways that you're stepping up and helping lead and, and all that. Um, so can you thank them as well? 
And I, I also, as we thank them, I also just want to give a shout out to, to Phil Emery, who's been our, he's been a, a part of Mosaic the last 14 years, been on staff 12 years, most of that as our worship pastor. Um, but he invested significantly in Maya and Chris while they were leaders in training. And so to see that kind of fruit that we get to benefit from now, um, if you see Phil or want to shout out to him or email him or call him or text him or whatever, and just say, man, you're even better than I even knew. But just, uh, just some of the influence that he is having uh, on us and, and so it's just great to see the way that you guys have um, benefited from his, his leadership. And if you, if you don't know Mark and uh, Kendra Roll, they um, have been leading a part of a band. They're gonna lead a band a month uh, for this next season as well. Uh, and so I won't point her out. She's hiding up in the balcony um, and Mark's not here. So that would be awkward for him. So um, yeah, or I don't see him. Maybe he's hiding somewhere. Uh, that said, within uh, uh, our, our bands right now, uh, it's, it's a very unique uh, and and great way to serve within the life of a local church is, is through music because it is a, is, a, is a skill. There's a lot of things that, a lot of ways that we can serve that um, you can kind of be trained pretty quickly and learn how to do and, and lend a hand. Um, being on a band is, is not one of those. Um, this, this is not surprising to anyone, but just because you, you like what happens in this space and in this moment and you're like, I wanna be a part of that, give me a guitar. Or better yet, I'll go find one, buy one or steal one and come up and start playing it. Like we, that doesn't happen. That goes poorly for everyone involved. And so the people that are up here have put time and effort into refining a craft and an art, a skill to be able to, uh, to lead us in that way. And so um, if you see anyone or have any friends who are leading up here, um, would you just put your arm around them and say thank you um, for the way that they give to our church community in that way? And if I can add on to that, if you specifically play guitar or bass um, and would like to serve in that way, it, we, we need those right now in this season. So those are two specific needs that we have. And, and if I can clarify a little bit, not just if you play, um, but if you have somebody who knows what they're talking about that says, yes, you, you can play well. Can, can we just add, agree to that as well? Okay. Um, there's a whole nother part of, of our gatherings that we don't see a lot, um, but I would ask that you help me give them a hand and just say thank you. And that's to our volunteers that serve back there in this booth. And so thank you uh, for serving back there. <clears throat> and we're not experiencing it right now, but I can guarantee you there are people sitting at home right now that are clapping because what you do back there allows people at home or at other times to be able to watch. And so thank you. That's a, just a ton of volunteer effort and time is put back in there. Um, those are actually skills that you can learn fairly quickly. So if you would like to, to play a role in this and not be seen up here, um, there's some needs back there as well. So um, that would be great. We, uh, we did a, a kind of a little, um, <clears throat> I think we used the word audit, but kind of tallied all of the people that are serving to make a gathering like this happen uh, in, in Portland right now, in, in this place that God has placed us as a church. And there's uh, currently 70 uh, people who volunteer in a given month, uh, whether it's coming early and, and checking our kind of grounds and getting things cleaned up, whether it's serving in here, whether it's being a part of the welcome team, setting up signs early, um, and then certainly with our, our kids downstairs, um, there's about 70 people currently that are, that are serving. And I think we need about another 20 uh, to really fill all the slots. And so if you are not serving um, and would be interested in finding out more about that or know already um, where you wanna serve, there's a table over there or you can go online and sign up and we'd love to have a conversation with you about how you can contribute to what's going on here uh, on Sunday mornings specifically. So um, let's pray. Would you, would you just take a deep breath 
You can close your eyes and pray with me and then we're gonna open up scripture together. God, we've, we've taken time together this morning to declare that, that you're unique, that you're worth knowing and following because there's no one else like you. You, you stand alone. There's no one that compares to you, that you are above and beyond and before and after and in all things. And, and you're the only one like that, that you have created everything, that you hold everything together that you yourself have designed love and extended it to us, and we only understand a little bit of that, that you're powerful beyond what we can imagine, that you're, you're worthy. And so we, we acknowledge you in this time and space and declare that it's yours. This is your time and space, and we've been invited to meet with you here. And so in this moment, in this morning, Holy Spirit, we invite you to work and to move, and not just in this moment and in this space, but, but actually inside of each one of us, in our hearts and our minds, that you would awaken us in new ways, that you would stir in us, that you would comfort us, that you would, you would convict us, that you would be moving. And specifically this morning, as we read the story of how you were gifted to us as the church, to us as followers of Jesus. Would you move and work in our time here? And Jesus, we declare you in this space as King, as Lord, as our Savior and as our Redeemer and as our Rescuer. And so we also ask that you would be our teacher and that we would hear from you and from no one else. As we read your word, would you, would you lead us and guide us through it? Would you speak to us? It's in your name that we pray. Amen. There's a, a part of, for, for those of us that are following Jesus, which is most of us, I realize, um, there's a part of our relationship in, uh, in pursuing God and being in relationship with God. There's part of what it means to follow Jesus that for many of us is, uh, is, is mysterious, that it feels just out of reach, that it's foreign, that we're not quite sure what to make of it. Um, and that is the, the Holy Spirit. As we gather in this place, as we worship, as we sing, as we read scripture, we, we get to know a God who is a God in three persons. Um, the, the word Trinity is not found in scripture, but um, we worship a God. It even shows up in some of the things. When we, we just did a, a prayer that we call a, a liturgy, we pray a, a same prayer every time that we gather. And it starts with Father, Son, and Spirit, because that's who God is. He's one and unified, but yet he's in three persons. And so for many of us, we have some kind of an idea of who, who God is. And maybe that's who we first experienced. And maybe it was Jesus. And we had a, when we came to know Jesus, believe in him, that, that he showed up and we heard from him. And the Holy Spirit for many of us seems a little out of reach and maybe even uncomfortable, scary, and, and, and foreign. What we want to do this morning is to look at the text in Scripture, the, the, the moment in history that's recorded in the book of Acts where, where God follows through on his promise and gives the Holy Spirit to his, his church. And you heard it read, Ethan read it for us, and it's this kind of bizarre, wonderful, crazy, exciting, maybe uncomfortable moment in history but it's when the church received the, 
the Holy Spirit. In some ways, it was the, the, the birth of the church, this movement that we're a part of. And, and so we're going to look at that together this morning. And what I want to do is I'm going to do two kind of, two, two pairs. I want to I pair two things together. One is the experience of the Holy Spirit is both personal and it's communal. It's both individual and intimate, and it's, it's, it happens in the context of a family. It causes a movement of people and churches and families. And so it's personal and it's communal. And the second one is what happens at this particular event that we'll look at, there's something that happens before it and there's something that happens after. There's something that precedes the giving of the Spirit and there's something that happens immediately. There's a response to the Holy Spirit coming. And so we're gonna look at those two pairs together this morning. But first, let's, let's kind of set the stage a little bit if we can. And maybe this text is familiar with you. Maybe you've read it before or maybe you're just hearing it for the first time or you've heard of it and you're not quite familiar with it. It's often referred to as Pentecost. Maybe you've heard that term before, Pentecost. Now, Penta, if you think of Penta, you might think of pentagram, five-pointed star, it has the idea of five in it. Pentecost was a day that already existed prior to this day happening. So as we read the text, it says that as the day of Pentecost came, so the, the people that were in Jerusalem where this happened were familiar with Pentecost already. And what it marked was not five, but 50 days after Passover. And so just to put us in kind of context and, and history a little bit here, uh, Jesus celebrated the Passover with his disciples, kind of the last supper. Then he was taken and went through the mock trial, was, was beaten and crucified and buried and rose on Sunday morning, three days later. And then about, it says it spent about 40 days with his disciples and then he ascended. He, he literally was standing, hanging out with his disciples and he, he ascended into heaven. That's quite a scene. That's, that's kind of nuts. But the disciples watched him go. And again, the disciples is, are just confused and they understand a little bit, but not a lot. And he goes and he says, wait for the power that's gonna come on you. Wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so that's 40 days after, after Jesus had risen and then 10 more days and then this happened. So it's 50 days since Passover. And this would have been a yearly cycle, yearly rhythm in the life of the nation of Israel, in the life of Jews. And again, they were being ruled by Romans at the time. But we come to this day of Pentecost, and what it was, it was a feast, and it was to mark, Pentecost marked the wheat harvest. So when wheat was harvested, they would take a portion of it, and it was called first fruits. So the harvest finally comes, so they plant and do all this work and wait, and it's time to harvest, and they take the very first of what they have, and they bring it to the temple, and they give it to God. It is not unlike what we just did collectively, as we said, a liturgy that talked about giving money, that again, as we say, we so often call our own, that we have in our own bank accounts and our own pockets and wallets and cards, and we have our money. And one of the things that God calls us to is to take a portion of that and give it back to God. And in so doing, trusting that saying, God, you, you rule over every part of my life. And I acknowledge that you actually provide the finances that feed me and my family, that provide for shelter, that buy the clothes that I have and the gas and everything else. And so the Jews were commanded to do this, that they would take the first of their fruits and they would bring it, the first of their, their harvest, and they would bring it. And there was this process. It also marked in their history the giving of the law. So this thing that marked them of how they were supposed to live came from God after they were freed from slaves as Egypt. And it marked that, that moment for them. So it was both the, the wheat, the harvest where they would give, and then they also marked and remembered that this is when we got the law. Now, it happened at a point of time in the year when it was the best for travel. 
And so Jerusalem, where the temple was, is they would come from all over, so it was packed. And it was Jews coming from all over from different lands and villages and countries where they spoke different languages. So it was this cosmopolitan, packed house feeling in Jerusalem at the time. So the streets are crowded. There's people that are catching up with friends and family they haven't seen in a long time. There's multiple languages being talked about. It's just a hubbub activity. And this is also 10 days after Jesus has ascended and about 120 men and women who have been following Jesus are trying really hard to have faith that what he said is going to happen. And they're hanging out in this large room, 120 of them packed in there. It was probably somewhere near the temple or connected to the temple in some way. And this is where this scene happens. Packed city, people holding on to their faith in Jesus that he's gonna show up in some new way that the Holy Spirit's gonna come, that power, they don't know what quite to expect, but they're waiting. And that's where we pick it up. And so let's first look at what was personal and communal about the Holy Spirit coming in. Acts chapter two, verse one says this. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. They're all together in that room, that home. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Like, I don't know that any of us have ever experienced anything like this. I mean, maybe you've been at some kind of an event or maybe some kind of amusement park and you walked in and there was something that was staged that was like that. We've seen depictions of different things that, that have this kind of force and power and phenomenon. But, but for most of us, this would, this would absolutely like freak us out. Like we would, you know, kind of cower and duck and run or, you know, just faint or whatever, however, you know, whatever response you would have. But this is a, this is a crazy scene. They're, they're, they're together. Maybe they were praying. Maybe they were eating. Maybe some of them were sleeping. Maybe some of them were watching a game. We don't know quite what they were doing when they were all here, but then all of a sudden this wind comes and it's violent and it's from another place. It doesn't make sense where it's coming from. And then they see what looks like fire over each, each one of them. There's this tremendous shift that happens where the spirit was talked about. If you read the Old Testament, the spirit was talked about of being given to a people group but not to individuals. And so all of a sudden, for the first time ever, what we have is that God follows through on his promise and he gives the Holy Spirit to individuals. And they're looking around and there's a, what looks to be a tongue of fire over each person's head. And you've just got to believe, like probably it was Peter that jumped at the first person he saw that on and tried to put the fire out, but, but he didn't do it. It, was, it. it stayed there over each one of them. And then they began to speak in different tongues. probably each and every one of us, if it's not right now in your life, can point to a, a moment, a season, a year, an experience, where as we're seeking to follow Jesus in this world, in the here and now, in this city, we come to a point of discouragement. Um, we come to a point of, of, of doubt. Is, is this real? Do I want to stick with this? Can I stick with this? Am I worthy? Um, disbelief, doubt, the sense that, that, God, that God just doesn't show up and I pray and pray and pray and I don't, I don't find an answer. I seek to change in a way and, and there's just not, 
change that happens. That we, we come to these points of life where we feel like, it, can, can I continue going with Jesus? Or I've been trying and I just, I'm just not good at this. I can't do this. Part of that is that the Holy Spirit seems foreign and distant to us. And for many of us, we've not learned how in those moments or just in every day of following Jesus, how to actually walk with the Holy Spirit, how to live day to day, hour by hour, minute by minute with a sense that God is with us, not in some kind of vague sense, but in a sense that God is with us because the Holy Spirit has been given to me and to you personally. That we don't know what to do with that. We hear it, but we don't know what that actually looks like or feels like. This is a, a moment in our history as followers of Jesus, in our history of what it means to be a church that's seeking to follow Jesus, where the Holy Spirit is given to each person individually. It was personal. And what it signaled was that what Jesus had been talking about, of being in relationship with the God of the universe, was now facilitated through God being present with us in the Holy Spirit. And so there's an, there's an intimacy, there's a closeness, and there's a, there's a personal and individual aspect of what it means to know and to walk with the Holy Spirit, to be in relationship with the Holy Spirit. And it happened in a dramatic fashion. And so they're looking at the room and they're going, well, you've got a piece of fire over you and you've got a, a fire over you and you've got a, and I've, do I have one over me? Yes, we've each got it. It's with us, each and every one. And then it wasn't just a symbol. It wasn't just a sound of a rushing wind and then a visible symbol, but then they actually began to experience it. And bizarre as it is, they, their experience first and foremost was to speak in a language that they didn't know. There's a, um, all sorts of, I've never tried any of these, and if you've, if you've tried them and it's worked, I'd love to know, but um, I hear them on, on podcast commercials all the time in the radio that um, you can learn a new language in like, I, I don't know, like, 30 seconds a day of practicing or something absurd that I just don't buy because I had Spanish as a high schooler and I don't, you know, I can, you know, talk on burritos like all I remember. Like, I, like, language don't stick with me very easily, but, you know, we can listen to these things and somehow we can learn a new language. So if that works for you, I want to know and I'd maybe pay an inappropriate amount of money to be able to speak other languages and do all of that. Like, I don't know how all that works, but, but they didn't know these languages. And all of a sudden they could speak and, and talk to somebody else and that was the initial power that they experienced, which is really bizarre. Like, if, 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 if you've never experienced the Holy Spirit before, and you're like, God, I want to experience the Holy Spirit, and this is the, this is the, the, the feeling I want to have or the power that I want to have or the way I want to be changed, language would probably not be your first thought. But yet, it, it was for them. There's this, there's this sense that it was very individual. It was very personal. It was intimate. And one of the things that God is doing at this moment that we're to take away now is that that God actually interacts with each and every one of us personally. And so in those times in our life when we feel discouraged or when we're doubting or when we feel disconnected to God that he's not speaking, not answering, our next step should be to engage the Holy Spirit. We have all of this description throughout Scripture of who the Holy Spirit is and what does he do. And one of the ones that is my favorite is that he's the comforter. It's one of the first times Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit. He uses helper that also translates comforter. But the, the Holy Spirit is meant to comfort us. We have skill upon skill upon skill and option upon option of how we can deal with anxiety and how we can feel better and struggle when, um, when stress arises. And, and yet we have it right from Scripture that, that God present with us in the Holy Spirit is meant to be a helper and a comforter. And at the same time, and this shows, often shows up in how we pray about the Holy Spirit, but that he, 
he also convicts. There's this image of fire over each one of them, and fire was an, a, a symbol for, for refinement, to purify something, to remove something, and to find out what is, what is really meant to be pure and what is lasting and what burns away. And the Holy Spirit throughout the rest of the New Testament has this role of playing, of bringing conviction to our life, of how we think and how we act and how we behave and decisions that we make. And there's a whole section that says, um, turn away from malice and greed and lust and anger and turn towards the things of the Spirit, turn towards what's known as the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, maybe another one or two. Like these are the kind of people that were to be there. There should be this conviction of turning away from things and turning to other things. And the Holy Spirit is the one that helps us and enables us and empowers us to be able to do that. But what we do see in this, in this picture is also the, the sense of power. That the Holy Spirit is showing up not just to transform us and how we feel and experience this life, but also to empower us for something that we can't already do, that we've not already done, that we feel too weak or ill-equipped to, or that seems way beyond us. And we have in this scene the sense that there's power. And again, the power is demonstrated first and foremost by being able to speak different languages. But we've read last week, Acts 1, chapter, or chapter 1, verse 8, that the Holy Spirit was to come and to give him power to be witnesses to the people around us, here, over there, and to the ends of the earth. Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That, that we often don't feel like we have the power to do that. We don't have the wisdom, we don't have the courage, we don't have the boldness, we don't have the ability, we don't have the answers, we don't have the, the, the words at the tip of our tongue, we can't think through and deal with questions, we're not prepared to answer cynicism and doubt and hard questions. And this is our picture of saying, God, no, because the Holy Spirit is with you, there's a way to be empowered by the Holy Spirit in order to be able to do this. I was uh, watching this past week a, uh, a, an update video. It's about four minutes long. Um, and it, it has to do with something that we're involved in as a church, uh, which is the country of Haiti. Uh, and um, there's a, a city in Haiti uh, that's uh, several hours north of Port-au-Prince, which is kind of the main capital in Haiti. If you know anything about Haiti over the last number of years, it's just been a, a complete um, upheaval and unsafe and, um, you know, obviously travel restrictions there, but the government was been overthrown and there's violence in the streets and gang warfare back and forth and uh, other countries have tried to lend a hand and there's still, it's still so unsafe and unsettled and you know, economic disruption is, is, is kind of like third on the list of, of, of problems right now. Like they just, they're unstable as a country. Port-au-Prince is the capital. Um, several hours north is a town called Terre Blanche. Uh, and in the town of Terre Blanche, there's a pastor named Delamy. And Delamy for a number of years has, has helped build and lead a, essentially what we would call a community center. But in Terra Blanche, which is this, you know, ravaged by poverty, um, has been this community center that has been built up that, that does uh, education for kids. Um, there's over one million children in Haiti right now that, that have no school to go to because of all the disruption in the country. And that there's a school in Terra Blanche where kids can still come and learn. There's a health center. Uh, there's no other health center services around, and so there's a health center that they've developed in this community center. 
where people can come from all around and stand in line for hours and hours and hours and days, but eventually get, get health. Some people from here that have been in the medical field, that are in the medical field, have gone and traveled there in years past to be able to serve the people of Terre Blanche. There's a uh, food uh, center where they provide food uh, for the kids that come. Um, there's a, a training center for women to learn skills to be able to get work. And there's a church. And Pastor Delamy is on this video saying that, that while all of this disruption is going on in Haiti, in Terra Blanche, it's a very different story. That people are actually getting help and people are being served and people are coming to know Jesus. And he describes the work of the Holy Spirit where there's this different kind of experience. And if you can picture this, this ray of light on, on Terra Blanche where in a very dark country where there's, there's a lack of safety and there's violence and unsettledness. In Terra Blanche, there's this light. There's this sense of heaven is touching down just a little bit right there. And people are being healed and getting medical help. Kids are getting educated. Women are getting trained. People are coming to know Jesus and being changed. And then they describe, because of what's happening there, they're able to send people out. And, and this video is so clear. They use the word. They're able to send witnesses to where the name of Jesus is not known. And they're able to go out from there to other places. That's the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our world today in a very dark place. We give, it's not a lot of money, but we as a church every month support that work. And we're able to provide for a full-time worker in the, um, in the health center there the medical center. Somebody's able to be employed full-time and work full-time hours there because of what we, we give to them. We get to be just a little tiny part of that. But there, because of the work that's happening there and the Holy Spirit at work there, is able to send out people to go to other villages and places where the name of Jesus is not spoken. When the Holy Spirit shows up, it's individual and it's personal, but then it moves into a communal sense. And the very next verses with all of these different names begin to give us a picture of, of what's happening and what God has in store for the future of his church and for the world. And it says this, now there was staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? And they're asking Galileans, it's, it's actually kind of an, an insult. Now they're saying, aren't they Galileans? And, and Galileans were known for having a, 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 like literally their voices sounded different. Their, uh, uh, their dialect or their accent sounded, sounded different. It was more guttural. And like we have in our culture, when we hear certain accents, we make assumptions and stereotypes of their level of income and education. Fill in the blank of what that sounds like in your own mind. But we have those. And we hear them on the news or when we see commercials or stories or whatever it might, or friends, we, we make those assumptions. That's what they were doing. They're saying, these are, these are guys and gals from Gal Galilee. And they're, they're not as sophisticated. They're probably not as educated. They're not as cultured as us. How is it that this random group of them can speak in all of these different languages? And so it was a bit of an insult. Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, and then all those other names that Ethan read so, so well. Visitors from Rome, um, Cyrene, uh, Cretans, which is not, Cretans is not an insult. I don't know if, that, if that's how you read that, Cretans. No, it's people from Crete. It's, it's not meant to be an insult, but um, anyways, that's just an editorial note there, I guess. And Arabs, and we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. It, it, when we hear that, 
And if you've not heard this story before, you might hear like, okay, they were in this room and this, this moment happened with this fire and this bizarre wind and all of this happened. Our senses are stirred and we're like, what's going on? And then we start speaking in different languages. And it might seem like they went out on the street and they started talking about Jesus to whoever could understand them in their language. But that's not what happened. It says that people came to where they were the people came and they heard this wind thing happening and they showed up and maybe it was on the second story, maybe it was on the first floor, maybe it was on the other side of the fence. We don't quite know the scene, but they show up and they're like, we can hear our language being spoken in there. And you know what we hear is we hear the wonders of God being talked about. And so there's people, there's all, they're all Jews. They speak different languages, but they're all Jews. And they're talking about the God that we know. I mean, we know maybe we're following God. Maybe, you know, maybe we like doing this offering thing. Maybe we don't, but, but we hear this thing going on and they're talking about the wonders of God. It wasn't that the disciples ran out on the street and started preaching. They experienced the Holy Spirit and they started talking about the wonders of God. Let, let, let me read a, another verse to you. It's in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 through 20. And maybe this will be familiar to you, but listen to it carefully. Do not get drunk on wine. That's it. Let's go back to Acts. So maybe you need, no, um, we're going to hear them being made fun of that people thought they were actually drunk and that's how they were doing this whole scene. But Ephesians chapter five says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Surprise, surprise. Instead, be filled with the spirit, be filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God, the father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul, way later than this, writes, and he's describing what's actually happening in that room. The wind showed up and these fire things happened and what happened was spontaneous worship. It doesn't say anything about music necessarily, but it says they're declaring the wonders of God. We take time and intention and some very skilled individuals take time and intention to lead us in declaring the wonders of God when we sing. When we sing in this place, it's all been in English, but we're declaring the wonders of God. Now, you may feel close to the Holy Spirit, you may have had an experience with the Holy Spirit, or you may never have understood if the Holy Spirit is with you or not, and don't, this is a whole new territory for you. But when we sing together like this, we're asking God to work and move, not just in us personally, but in us communally, that says, Spirit, you're here, you're at work, and when we're saying these things that are true of you, what would it be like if somebody heard us on the outside and walking in. And you know what? I don't know that that happens very often, but we do actually have stories literally of that, of people walking by and hearing music and coming in and going, hey, that's interesting, and then hearing the words and going, oh. And we we've have stories in our 20 years as a church of people who have walked into this building and experienced us as individuals and heard what we're declaring and experience the Holy Spirit and Jesus in some personal way and come to follow Jesus and then get baptized. When we sing together, it is not just a rote practice that we go through the motions. It is intended to meet us in a place that is beyond just our pure understanding or intellect or rational grasp of who Jesus is and what is true today and to move us into a place that says, no, we have this capacity for relationship. We have this capacity for joy. And when we sing, it's meant to tap into that so that we actually experience declaring who God is to him to collectively together. 
the Holy Spirit shows up and it shatters every expectation and understanding that the disciples would have had of how things worked. It just, it completely blew out their, their, their limits of their expectation. And what they had a choice to do was to say, I'm gonna step into this. And I don't get what this fire thing is over your head and I don't understand what you're saying. And this wind thing actually has me frightened and I've still got goosebumps and I'm shaking a little bit. But actually this is the Holy Spirit in me now. And so I'm going to declare how good God is because I realize he's with me personally. And they all start doing that. And again, I don't know if there is music or there or not. We're not told that there is, but they're declaring the wonders of God. And people responded and were drawn to it and started listening. There is a communal aspect of the Holy Spirit working together. And what we have is an undoing of something that sin did in the human condition ages before this, hundreds of years before this, thousands of years before this. There's this story, and you've heard the word Babel, which I'm aware Babel is one of those podcast commercials where I can learn, I, I don't, you know, Russian by the afternoon. But the reason it's called that is because Babel is this point in history where God divided humanity. God divided humanity by giving them different languages. And so there was building a tower and it was after the flood and they're building a tower, which is today uh, Babylon. I think it's Southern Iraq today, a tower to get to God and to say, look how powerful we are. We can hold together. We can become God's, we can reach God. And God says, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna divide you. This is not a pure, a, 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 does not come from a, a, a pure heart and it's not worshiping me you're gonna end up worshiping yourselves and trying to become gods yourselves. And so he gave them different languages and they were divided. And then later on, what God begins to do is here on this day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was given, these people who were divided by languages and humanity is divided, we have this, we have this symbol, we have this imagery, we have this picture of humanity coming back together. And it's coming back together through the Holy Spirit. I... Uh, I spent Friday night and Saturday with uh, four other people from Mosaic and we gathered together. I think there was five or six other uh, churches represented and we're talking um, through a whole process with a, a, a nonprofit um, that actually the, the government has, has contracted with. Um, to, it's, a, it's a faith-based nonprofit, it's a Jesus people. Uh, but the, our, our US government has actually partnered with them and said, will you, will you explore with churches? And they picked Portland specifically Will you explore with churches in Portland how to reach people that are at risk of becoming um, radicalized and then pursuing violence in, in our nation, on our soil? And so a, a nonprofit that's only ever worked internationally is, is, is working and in, in, in we get to be one of these five or six churches that are kind of walking through this with them. And, it's, and one of the things they said stood out so clearly, they said the government knows, and this is like, wow, it's pretty obvious. But the U.S. government knows that it can't stop people from becoming radicalized and harming other people. Well, that's good. I'm glad they know that. should lead with that more often. They know that they need churches. They know that they need, and we would say, Jesus people. People who are following Jesus. Because that's where transformation can actually happen. And there's people, and, and there's these stories upon stories that were, are actually pretty scary and, and sad. But as we know, specifically over the last uh, four to seven years, our, our, our city has kind of come, up, come apart at the seams, so to speak, and there's more divisiveness and more polarization. And to look into that and say, there's no government policy, there's no educational system, there's no economic policy that can heal a broken humanity. 
But what we have here is the power of the Holy Spirit through both individuals who are part of a community. And we have this great symbol of coming together what was broken back in the garden and then again at Babel, of a divided humanity coming together. And we are intended to be that that we're actually intended to represent being united across lines throughout the rest of our society that people don't unite over, that we divide based on any number of things. And we were talking over this weekend largely about political parties and social policies, and certainly there's division over um, ethnicity and socioeconomic and any number of things. And yet we are called to be the people of God that can do exactly exactly what we're doing now, which is just the very kind of low level, but sit in a room together and to be unified around Jesus. But not just sit in a room together, to actually be in relationship with one another and to love and to care and to walk with through painful situations and to challenge, but to love and to care for people when we think different things on all sorts of secondary issues on all sorts of social issues, but to be unified around the person of Jesus. And here we get a glimpse of it at Pentecost in Jerusalem with all sorts of different people that come from different villages and different places. And what they have in common is they're, they're Jews and they're there for Pentecost. But we have this beautiful imagery of people coming across that are divided to be unified again. Part of our vision statement as a church says that we want to equip and send people to break barriers, to love neighbors, and uniquely contribute to more of God's kingdom coming here. That we would break barriers, that we would look at the things that, that, are, that divide so many other people and that have divided us from one another and say, we can overcome that because we're unified in Jesus. And we can't do that in our own intellect, we can't do that with our own will, but we can when we lean on the power of the Holy Spirit to do something that I can't quite explain but we can actually be unified. We can be in relationship. We can be in friendship. We can be in, in community. And in so doing, we represent something clear and loud and courageous to the world that there's another way, that we can experience genuine unity and community and relationship and friendship, not in our own power, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. There's a personal and there's a communal aspect to the Holy Spirit showing up. And then quickly, there's the before and after, and we're gonna go in reverse here. The after effect is this, verse 12, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? So they saw this whole scene, and then they said, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine, so that they're drunk. And we're gonna see in next, in next week as we get to Peter's uh, message, um, that he says they're, they're, not, they're not drunk as early in the morning. Um, but that gives you a little bit of a, of a view of the scene of the, like the party nature. Like it's not quite Mardi Gras, but it's like there's a lot of partying going on in Jerusalem at that time when all these people are packed in there. Some say, what does this mean? Some hear that, the wonders of God, and they're drawn to it. They lean into it. They say, what does this mean? I want to find out more. You have people in your life that are doing that right now. They see the weird and bizarre decisions you make the way that you talk and the way that you don't talk, the things you say yes to and the things that you say no to, the way that you use your time, the way that you treat people that are different than you. People see you and the way that you live your life and they lean in and they said, what does this mean? Where does this come from? Others look at you and go, what's wrong with you? Maybe they might not say, are you drunk? But they say, what's wrong? And so there's, there's both this leaning in and pursuing and there's also this rejection 
of saying, no, you guys are weird. I'm, I'm, I don't want any part of this. And so what we have at the very beginning is the church kind of kickstarts the coming out party of the church of saying, this is who we are in the power of the spirit. And some will say, no, we reject. Paul says this later in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 2, uh, verse 16. To one we are the aroma that brings death. To the other, an aroma that brings life. Not everyone is ready to respond to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Not everyone will say, I think I want to find out more about Jesus. Not everyone will say, I respect you or admire you or I'm interested. Just say no. From the very, very beginning, day one of the church, there's rejection. That's not news to those of us that live in Portland, Vancouver metro area and seek to follow Jesus in a way that lets other people know around us that we're following Jesus. That is a norm and we're regular. We're, it's, it's, we've all experienced it and it's not new for the church. It happened at the very beginning. If we look back into chapter one, there's what happened before. That's what happened after. What happened before is this. Acts chapter one, verse 14 says this. They all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So the disciples along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and, and their friends, they, they were all together in this room and they were, they were praying together. And when it says all together, it, it, we, we read it as like all together, like in a, as an attendance record, like the names that were there. The word actually means they were unified in mind and spirit, that they had the same values and passion. And it says constantly that they were praying, that they were just spending that time in prayer. And so for 10 days, that's, that's what they were doing is they were praying together. Prayer preceded the Holy Spirit being given. Prayer led to, prayer came directly before the Holy Spirit was given by God. There's this um, story that is uh, it's dated, 1857, a guy named Jeremiah was a businessman in, in New York City, and he's uh, introverted and pretty quiet, keeps to himself, but has this conviction. He has, says, the Holy Spirit is leading me to pray for our city. New York City, 1857, Jeremiah takes time during his lunch hour from noon to one, and he begins to pray, and he tells coworkers and some friends, I'm going to pray in this hour. And so he sits down and prays, and for the first half hour, he's by himself, at the end of 60 minutes, at the end of one hour, there's six other men who have come and joined him to pray with him. He says, I'm going to do this every week on this day. And second week he comes and there's not seven of them there, there's 20 of them. And they pray for their city and they pray for people who don't know Jesus. In the week two, there's 40 people. At the end of a month, there's over 100. And some who showed up were pastors. And then pastors went to their church and said, we're going to start praying. And then they moved it from weekly to daily. And at the end of six months, there's, there's over a, a hundred people praying where he first started every single day. And it's not just happened in New York City, but it's pastors have come and gone and gone to other cities and are starting to pray daily in their own cities. From 19, 1857 to 1859, there was... Two million people in the United States of America came to believe and declare faith in Jesus Christ for the first time. That's out of 30 million. Two million 
out of 30 million. It's what's known as the great awakening of this, this movement of God throughout our nation. You've heard that term before. You might not know the dates or the specifics of it, but it's, it's something that deeply impacted our nation. And it started with men and women praying. It started with lunch and moved to daily. It expanded, it spread, and then God began to work. That prayer preceded a great work of God. Prayer preceded the giving of the Holy Spirit. There's this quote by a guy named J. Edwin Orr, and he says this, no great spiritual awakening has begun anywhere in the world apart from united prayer. Christians persistently praying for revival. We see the, the church coming to life at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was given. And we say, God, we, we want that now. We want that in our own lives. We want to have a personal experience with the Holy Spirit. We talked last week, and again, say it again this week, is that we need that. There's this, there's this sense among us as a church that we, we long for something more. And that can mean a lot of things. I believe it's a longing for God to do something individual in us, to stir us, to grow us, to change us, to transform us, and then also for us as a church. And today, in just, a couple, in just less than an hour, we'll start a week of 24-7 prayer. We did it in the spring for the first time. We're doing it again. It's through this room. You've got to go around that way to get in. But we're going to start, I think, the first hour is at noon, and we're going to pray until we gather next Sunday. I think we're roughly a little over 50% filled up. The hours are filled. If you have not signed up for an hour yet, um, there's a, there you go, this thing. Um, if you scan this thing, you can both learn Russian by this afternoon and signed up for a prayer hour. I don't know, I'm just kidding. There, here's, we want to call ourselves to be a, a people that prays. And if our theme for this week could be the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, that we could come into this place and say, Holy Spirit, show up. Meet me in some new way. Move, transform me. You can come as an individual. You can come as a couple. You can come and take your family in there for an hour. You can schedule one hour. You can schedule multiple hours. It's around the clock. I think we still need some safety team help as well if, you've, if you're interested in that through the night hours. But we're gonna, we're gonna open this door and we're gonna pray in this room every hour for the next week and then we're gonna gather again on Sunday. And we're gonna ask that God would stir in us individually Stirring us as a church, stirring us as a, in a city. We're partnering with so many other churches that are doing similar practices throughout this year. We all ask for God to come and work, but it starts with each one of us. We might not have a fire over our head, but we do have the Holy Spirit in us. Here's what I want us to do. We typically end our, our teaching by coming to this table. I want to do something a little bit different right now. I want to um, ask that we just sit. Maybe if you just put your palms open on your knees and close your eyes and just and begin to pray and to ask that the Holy Spirit would come, that you would have a, a renewed or new experience of the Holy Spirit coming. And we're just going to take the next two minutes just in silent prayer. And then Tyler's going to, and the band will lead us into communion after that. But would you join, would we join together and say, Holy Spirit, come, transform me, comfort me, convict me, empower me, for what it is you're calling us to, to be your witnesses in this city at this time.